Even though, you know, the IMF cut global growth forecast from 3.5 to 3.3 percent uh, in 2019, you know, copper is outperforming gold by 1,200 basis points year to date. So, you know, there is a market signal there that would suggest perhaps the IMF was uh, a little late to that call. We'll see. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. I'm on today with my good friend and colleague, Jeff Bookbinder, up in Boston. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, John. Happy Monday. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? Doing great, thanks. I am in the process of recovering from the family vacation. That's right. You, it's going to take a little more time, but I'll get there. You've got younger children. You were traveling to New York, right? That's right. Yeah, in uh, New York City for a few days, then out to Jersey uh, to spend some time with, with family. It was a really nice uh, vacation, so thanks uh, to you and the team for covering for me while I was out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We're glad you had that time. Yeah, I remember vacations when the kids were that young. It wasn't really a vacation for the parents. It was a lot of work, so I'm sure you're <laughs> glad you can come back to the office and relax. <laughs> the analogy to the to the movie uh, Vacation with, with Chevy Chase is, is probably appropriate. Our, our trip back was a little more calm maybe than that. but uh, Yeah, at least Grandma wasn't on the roof of the car, right? Yeah, yeah. nobody was strapped to the, to the top of the station wagon. Okay, good Thankfully. deal. That's right, and Wally World was closed. Well, I'm glad you had a good trip, and it's good to be back. Uh, obviously, a lot to talk about on the markets. You know, I think the way best way to break it down you know, for our listeners is to really just think about market signals for the economy and market signals for the financial markets. Really, when we're looking at the economy. There's a great deal of concern about whether or not the first quarter had slipped into a soft patch. Obviously, many investors were fearing that in late December when, when stocks sold off. So I want to cover a little bit about that with you, Jeff. You obviously have really good insight into leading and lagging indicators. And then finally, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up with some comments on the markets. You know, what, what, what's the curve signaling? We're starting to see a bit of a steepening. Again, it's always, you know, relative to where we've been. Uh, but also just talk about the strong first three or four months that we've experienced and how uh, the markets tend to react historically. So first, Jeff, why don't we uh, talk a little bit about the economy? Why don't you share some of your thoughts, please, relative to leading and lagging indicators and how investors should uh, assess those? Yeah, so it's really important to make this distinction. Um, we, we've had a bit of a soft patch for the first quarter. We're going to get first quarter GDP later this week. And the good news there is, yes, it's a soft patch, but actually expectations have been uh, increasing. So the, the quarter ended strong. Remember at the start of the first quarter, at the start of the year, we were coming off just a terrible December for uh, the equity market. Folks were certainly very nervous about not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy. Then you get this historical pattern where the first quarter tends to be weak. So expectations mid-quarter were for economic growth in the neighborhood of 1%, but the um, solid data in, in March and April suggests that um, we might get a, a two-handle. So in the end, it's not going to be much of a soft patch, potentially, at least if consensus is right. When you look at some of the data, the leading economic indicators that tend to correlate well to future growth, you know, things like the index of leading economic indicators, things like the labor market indicators, job growth, low unemployment rate, jobless claims. Uh, it looks like um, we'll see um, better growth in the second quarter and potentially over the, the balance of the year. So uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because it's April, but we think um, our forecast for 
2.5% GDP growth for the year looks pretty good here. Yeah, that's a good call, Jeff, because, uh, yeah, we think, and as we emphasized during the podcasts in late December and into January, uh, we thought it was overdone. We we highlighted our emphasis on bear market without recession. We had some data that caused even us to be skeptical on that, right, when we saw only 20,000 jobs printed in February for the initial print, obviously revised up to 30. We had a significantly better employment data. So that really kind of got people going again. And then when you look at, you know, the weekly jobless claims, as you talked about, for a leading indicator, you know, even though we had, you know, the poor jobs report initially, the follow-up month was significantly better than expected. But we're looking at claims data now, which is the two consecutive weeks, the lowest in 50 years. I was on a call earlier today with our senior analyst, uh, Callie Cox, and Callie had done some work showing that even if claims were to peak last week, for example, it typically takes 13 months uh, before the economy weakens. And uh, I just think that's important to keep in mind because, yeah, we, we see pretty good fundamental data. You know, if anything is to throw us a curveball, it conceivably could be just the mother of all election seasons, right? And then, you know, even though fundamentals are good and we're fully employed and businesses have a favorable regulatory environment, uh, repatriation of overseas profits, immediate expensing provisions. It's conceivable that uh, businesses and consumers just stop spending in the fourth quarter of next year and the first quarter of 2021 purely because of exhaustion from what could be the mother of all election seasons. So I think that's something we need to keep in mind. But to your point, Jeff, the, the leading and lagging balance is very important for investors to make investment decisions. Any other insights on the economy, Jeff? Yeah, John, I want to emphasize... Um consumer spending here, right, it's, uh, of course, related to the point you just made about the job market. With um, wages rising and unemployment so low, we have a really strong foundation for consumer spending. And we saw uh, really good retail sales last week. Of course, consumer spending is about 70% of GDP for the U.S. economy. So that's a really strong foundation to build on here uh, in in the near term. Really solid consumer can carry us. And then if we get the clarity on trade, it looks like uh, we'll have a U.S.-China trade deal here within the next month or two. Uh, That could spark improvements in business confidence and lead to more business investment. And that can take the baton from the consumer and uh, maybe extend this cycle uh, well into 2020 and hopefully offset any uncertainty around the election. Cycle. Yes, and it's 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 obviously right. It, it's conceivable we, we blow through 2020 and 2021, given the economic fundamentals. The only speculation I had there is that we could just simply tire out as our best guess explanation for why we could uh, pull back, because you're absolutely right. When you see retail sales up 1.6% last month, really good number. And I think it's also important for investors to keep in mind, real hard to have recession when the consumer is fully employed, when wages are rising north of 3%, and profits are at record levels. Profits are a great leading indicator for not only business investment, but for employment growth. You know, we could still see further job gains uh, at a more muted pace, but the, the real key, as you pointed out, was not only were we seeing a strong consumer but we have to pass that baton to business. And as you and I have talked in previous podcasts and when uh, I've been on with Ryan, you know, we've talked about the the importance of that transition from consumption-led to business-led. And that's why we think the trade talks are so important because businesses now have that incentive for immediate expensing. 
they used it in the first half of 2018, but they've kind of capital investments kind of ground to a halt over the last several months because businesses want clarity on trade. And to the degree they get clarity on trade, they start investing again. Businesses invest. That increases productivity, which can enable the economy to grow more efficiently. Therefore, we can extend the cycle, but also not negatively impact uh, corporate margins. And uh, if margins are able to remain elevated, that could also extend not only the economic cycle, but also the profit cycle. So it really is terribly important. That's why we're really counting on a degree of clarity on trade, not even a, a pure resolution, but a degree or a path toward progress as businesses improve productivity that can help that can help elongate the expansion. And it's not just domestic, right, Jeff? Uh, any any insights you care to share globally on the economy? Yeah, sure. I mean, the um, I guess the, you don't want to leave with the bad news, but uh, IMF. You know, Europe's still struggling. Uh, the pace of growth there has basically been cut in half over the last, you know, call it 18 months or so. But uh, there are early signs of stability. So, um, you know, the recent round of manufacturing and services data out of uh, out of Europe showed some stability. So, maybe we could call that a soft landing potentially 1% growth pace and, and, and not much worse. Worse, Maybe you get the same out of Japan. So sure. if Japan and Europe can just not get in the way, just wait for the U.S. and China tied to lift those boats, That's right. then we could get back to a scenario where we have synchronized uh, global growth. Right now, uh, Europe and, and Japan are not helping. The good news here, China data has gotten a little bit better uh, here recently. You know, they've put quite a bit of stimulus into their economy to help offset the negative impact of the trade dispute. We could see um, the U.S. and China uh, accelerate here over the next uh, couple of quarters and, and really lift the globe. Yeah, those are good points. I think investors need to keep that in mind because if you look at Europe and Japan, starting to see some stabilization, starting to see some stabilization in some of their sentiment indices as well. And uh, I think it's important to point out, for example, European autos and European banks are starting to firm, which we've not seen in quite a while. So I think that could be a good, you know, leading indicator. And to your point about about China, yeah, we saw 6.4% growth. We saw improvement in production, industrial production and retail sales as well. Take it back to the title of this podcast, Market Signals, looking at copper uh, doing very well, copper outperforming gold. And even though, you know, I sent a tweet out about this last week, even though, you know, the IMF cut global growth forecast from 3.5 to 3.3% uh, in 2019. You know, copper is outperforming gold by 1,200 basis points year to date. So, you know, there is a market signal there that would suggest perhaps the IMF was a, a little late to that call. We'll see. Obviously, they do a great job forecasting, but I do, I just think it's important to you know, watch what the market's telling us. And maybe that's a good point to transition over to, over to the markets. Clearly, on the bond market, we're not seeing really stress in the credit markets with high yield and investment grade spreads. Let's call it relatively tight, not blowing out. And then looking at the yield curve, we're starting to see very slight, but a degree of steepening from the different portions of the curve that were inverted, but also, you know, even just, this is Monday morning, uh, April 22nd, you know, seeing some some bids at the short end of the curve and uh, longer end, you know, yields moving higher. So we think that's a positive development signaling future growth. Uh, any other thoughts on the bond market, Jeff, before we move over to equities? Well, John, there there's where uh, the international environment is, is really uh, critical. If we do see 
better growth in Europe and Japan, we could potentially see higher yields there, which could put upper pressure on our yields and then help uh, steepen the curve. So our 10-year Treasury yield is still well below fair value in our forecast, mm-hmm. which we lowered this year, is uh, three to three and a quarter. Um, we could, I think, get there pretty easily if um, if yields overseas can rise. That's right. That's right. And any any stabilization or improvement in growth that'll that'll get us there. Chinese yields have been rising quite a bit these last handful of weeks too. So they uh, always curious how you know they moved before that GDP report came out. So always a always a fascinating development. Now moving over to equities, we're up. Uh, clearly, we had greater than ten percent rise in the first quarter, and and these first four months will be another powerful uh, tailwind for the equity market. But we did an analysis in this week's market commentary, LPL weekly market commentary, where we looked at with our our analyst, Scott Brown, uh, Jeff, you and I and Ryan looked at this as well, when we saw that if you see a 10% gain in the first quarter, historically, we see 5.8% return over the remaining three quarters, which is a good number, but actually it's lower than your traditional three-quarter, final three quarters, which I think is 6.2 or 6.3%. But nonetheless, the bigger message there is that when you have a sprint, the market tends to tire out. And that's another, among the many reasons why we went to market weight on equities a few weeks ago. You know, we found that if you're up greater than 10%, yes, you see Call it 6% gains the final three quarters, but you also experience a 9% pullback. Now, we'd love to be able to tell you when that 9% pullback will occur, but we're, we're not that good. So, Jeff, obviously, it's an, it's an important point for investors to keep in mind, not to be uh, too excited about our recent success, but really just to make sure we're diversified, make sure we are uh, balanced in our portfolios toward our targeted allocations for our investors and just recognize that after such a sprint, more than 20% from the December 24th lows, that I just want investors to be prepared for the possibility of of some near-term pullback. Now, we still see solid fundamentals, but nonetheless, history is not on our side here, right? Yeah, that's right, John. And this would certainly be uh, a logical place for uh, the S&P 500 to tire. We're... uh, 1% 1% from the record high from back in December. We're only about 3% from our year-end fair value target of 3,000. The chart resistance that you see, you know, to use the technical analysis jargon at around uh, previous highs is certainly um, well-documented. So we probably do need a bit of a pause. But it's also important to keep in mind that we really haven't made any progress since September. You know, the when you're back at record highs, that means you've been flat since you were at the last high. That's right. So um, it's great news that the market's been able to recover those losses, but at the same time, um, we're, we've sort of gone nowhere uh, for six months. Frankly, the outlook looks better. Uh, you know, when you look at the economic fundamentals, when you look at earnings fundamentals, uh, there are certainly, and the prospects on trade, which is certainly related, uh, reasons to believe that we could go higher here. That's certainly what... Uh, history suggests uh, will happen uh, over the balance of the year. Yeah, so the fundamentals look better now than they did in September, as you're saying, correct? I think so. We've yeah. certainly resolved mm-hmm. the the issues with the Federal Reserve, yeah, at least for now, which was up, one of the big drivers of the fourth quarter weakness. You know, we just talked about how the leading indicators uh, are looking better, and we've seen stability in Europe and Japan. Uh, certainly the Stimulus in China has had time to work. You know, the outlook uh, here looks better. Remember, also last 
the end of last year, John, uh, everybody was worried about the peak in earnings growth. Yeah. Well, now we're talking about acceleration in earnings growth. We've, uh, you know, sort of uh, sold the sold the bad news, and now we can we can buy the uh, the better news ahead. So, I think even on the earnings front, now that expectations are so low, and uh, we think are very beatable, uh, you can make an argument that the earnings outlook is better now uh, than it was uh, six months ago as well. Yeah, all good points to keep in mind because uh, yes, we uh, obviously rallied handsomely from that December low, and we've talked many times. You know, we don't see. Fundamentally, we have difficulty justifying a retest of the December lows. I'm sure that satisfies everybody's concerns. But nonetheless, if you think about what caused that or what what made it worse was the poor messaging from the Fed, or you can be construed as the poor understanding of the Fed's message by the financial markets. Nonetheless, you compounded that with the biggest monthly outflow in hedge funds and unwinding of all those complex trades, those levered trades that kind of magnified the losses in December. Any any type pullback we would see, we're looking at initial support and the 50-day moving average called 28.15. We're about, call it 2,900 on the S&P now this morning. 28.15 would be the first support, and then 27.60 or so would be the 200-day moving average. Those are the type of numbers we're looking at for support. You know, if those fail, that 2,600 to 2,620 was a number Jeff and I talked about quite a bit last November and December, and uh, that triple bottom unfortunately did not hold that third week in December. But, you know, to wrap it up on equities, I just want all our listeners to pay attention to the fact that, again, we talked about the fundamentals on the economy Uh, We talk about we didn't really get to the beige book, which was another Fed report. That's a topic in this week's weekly economic commentary. But just seeing more more signs of strength than weakness uh, than we had in previous months. If you look at, uh, you know, market signals that equities are showing us, we're seeing cyclicals outperform defensive. We're seeing industrials participate. We think that's an important development. Copper is outperforming gold. Uh, Jeff, you made the point about profits. You're a profits guru, and I just think it's important for investors to recognize that when we made our forecast and operating earnings last November or October-November time period, we were $5 below Wall Street. Now we are $5 above Wall Street consensus. So I think it's important that uh, you know for investors to recognize maybe the consensus got a little too scared uh, during the market sell-off, and it's conceivable that you start to see improved earnings forecasts if if we're able to break flat for a flat earnings season in the first quarter compared to the initial losses for three or four hundred basis points. So any concluding comments, Jeff, before I wrap it up? Yeah, John, I'll, I'll just make the point that when things are getting better and expectations are low, that, that's, right. that's typically a good time to own stocks. Absolutely. But at, but at the same time, uh, like we like we mentioned earlier in the call, you know, the possibility still exists that we could tire out a little bit, have a period maybe where stocks have to consolidate, digest recent gains, uh, and maybe we'll uh, we'll get a little bit of a pullback. But that probably means we're still in a buy the dip kind of market, which is where we've been for really the last. Uh, practically last decade here. That's exactly right. And I always love it when you channel your inner Warren Buffett. So I appreciate that. And thank you for participating today. And just a final thought, you know, if we do indeed get this pullback that history would suggest and market signals are suggesting that the possibility exists, we would use this opportunistically uh, because, again, we think the, the longer term fundamentals remain sound when you look at a fully employed consumer 
as well as the, the likelihood of a transition to uh, capital investment resumption in the coming months. So with that, Jeff, I want to thank you uh, for your help today and uh, let all our listeners know how much we appreciate them. Wish you all a good week. Back on next Monday for LPL Market Signals with Ryan Dietrich. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank credit union or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.